Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And now, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Can the devil really take possession of the mind of man? Listen to Soul to Satan, starring Kermit Murdoch, and adapted especially for suspense by Joseph Cochran from a short story by Jules Archer. Just for the record, I'm not Frank Wineglass, president of the Figurette firm, and yet I'm a significant part of him. I'm sure Frank's dimly conscious of me. He wrote in his diary, I believe every man must carry a personal Satan caged deep within himself. A subtle, compelling force that suggests mad ideas, wrong ideas, irresistible ideas. That's Frank's estimate of me. On my own behalf, I'd say I'm keener than Frank in understanding what is inevitable and telling him so at once. And I do have my mischievous comic side. As Frank discovered that evening at the exclusive Hampton Club where the members, for the most part, believe that silence is golden. Confounded, man. Must you make so much noise with that ice? Oh, sorry, uh, Colonel Dover. Frank wasn't a bit sorry, and I got the message. I waited and let Frank remind himself that Colonel Dover had the annoying habit of glaring over the top of his newspaper at anyone who made the slightest sound. At the right moment, I made my move. Frank, can you imagine what would happen to this sacred silence if we gave the colonel the hot foot? Well, after the third scotch, Frank agreed it was a hilarious idea. He got up, walked over to the colonel, and stopped, pretending to tie his shoe. He lit the match and got back to his chair. We waited. If I knew what Bounder did that, I'd have him expelled. He, he would... Uh, Stuart! Stuart! <laughs> As I said, I grasped the inevitable. And what I suggested a few days later met with flat refusal. Even to listen. But I knew he'd come round. Then, too, I had the lever to pry Frank away from his deepest fears and inhibitions. And commit even murder... The lever was Diane Rodell, model for figurette. She came into the office of Harry Feeney as Frank's partner one morning after they'd had a night out of town. Hello, honey boy. Oh, hello, Diane. Feeling low, honey boy. Don't call me that. Why, honey boy, last night you no, I mean you... around the office. Frank might hear you. Even if I nestle up close and whisper it like this. 
Doug, isn't it possible you've let yourself be carried away? I, I know how it is, a beautiful girl like Diane. Now, don't say anything against her, Dad. She's the sweetest, most sincere, and modest girl I've ever known. I love her, and we're going to be married. Doug, think this over. For a lot of reasons. Give me one. Just one. Well, all right. Ask yourself why Diane, with her looks and her glamour, wants to marry a kid like you who's lame in one leg. I've heard enough, Dad. Nothing you can say will interest me. Not after that. Oh, Doug. Doug, come back. I didn't mean it. you got me into. What's the trouble, Frank? Doug just told me he's going to marry Diane. Yes, I know. Sweetest, most decent girl he ever knew. Uh, Frank, you didn't tell him about, about... No, because it wouldn't do any good. The only way I can convince him is with those photos. Let me have them. I burned them. Well, then you've got to tell Doug. I can't. Diane's way ahead of you. What do you mean? She phoned and... Said if I ever told Doug anything to hurt her chances, she'd send the photos to my wife in the next mail. Frank, Agnes would throw me out. And if she did, I wouldn't have a dime. What a partner you turned out to be. Frank fought off my suggestion to murder Diane. He told himself he could buy her off. He called Diane and arranged to see her that night. Well, I didn't argue. I knew he had to try everything before the inevitable solution. So nice of you to call, Mr. Wineglass. Do sit down. You know why I'm here, so let's skip the preliminaries. Get down to the price. What's your half of figurette worth? $60,000. Let's not play foxy with each other. My source of information tells me it's worth $150,000. The same for Harry Feeney. Except his wife owns his shares. Knowing you can't shake her down, you think you'll get it through Doug. Oh, l'amour, l'amour. I just can't resist Doug. And vice versa. A grand passion like ours is worth $150,000. Well, good night, Daddy. My boy thinks you're the most decent girl in the world. How <laughs> perfectly darling of him. You wouldn't ever tell him anything different. Now, would you, Mr. Wineglass? All right, Frank. You've tried everything. But there's no other way. With careful planning, I think we can open Doug's eyes and work it so Harry Feeney would take the rap. He's around your neck. You despise him. You could kill two birds with one stone. What do you say, Frank? I kept him tossing all night with the details. The first step, of course, was to undo the heart with Doug. Well, that was taken care of first thing in the morning. You want to see me? If it's about Diane, you may as well save your breath. Doug, I'd appreciate it a lot if you'd forget what I said yesterday. I behave like an old fool. I guess I was touchy about being left in the dark until it happened. Oh, sure, Dan. I, I understand. I'd have told you sooner, only I wasn't sure she'd have me. To tell you the truth, I wasn't sure about my game leg either. Well, I'm glad she didn't let that stand in the way. She's a wonderful girl. Now, um, 
Do you think Diane could bear up if I sent you on a business trip? Where do I go and when will I be back? Oh, you'd leave in the morning for the National Convention of Garment Workers in San Francisco. You'd be gone about ten days. Well, say, why don't you plan to take the 20th century tomorrow and show Diane the town tonight? Step number one was easy. Dutch softened up and out town for ten days. Diane out of her apartment for the night. Step number two consists of your alibi, Frank. We'd better put through a test run. And at the same time, set up the motive for the forthcoming trial of the People versus Harry Feeney, your partner. Everything hinged on the timing. So promptly, at 9.02, we were at the Hampton Club. Colonel Dover's face was buried in the newspaper, as usual. At 9.15, he had turned page one. Now, Frank, let him have it. <clears throat> Blast it! Oh, uh, sorry, Colonel. Very sorry. Well, that's all right. Perfect, Frank. Oh, boy. Perfect. 9.20. At my whisper, he rose, slipped out the French window, and went to the garden. It took three minutes to reach the Madison Arms, Diane's apartment house up the street from the club. Entering by way of the cellar, he climbed the ten flights of stairs without meeting anyone and emerged to the car in the window. He had a bit of luck when he got out on the fire escape and found the window to Diane's room open an inch. 9.30, he was pecking out a note on Diane's typewriter. He finished the note, and at exactly 9.40, he left the apartment, hurried down the stairs, walked to the club, and entered by the same window. He sank into his chair. Colonel Dover had turned another page of the newspaper. Frank wanted to do it right away, but I made him wait a couple of minutes. Now... <clears throat> oh, confound it, sir. Must you clear that infernal throat every two minutes? Oh, sorry. Uh, terribly sorry, Colonel. The run-through was perfect. Frank was elated. I told him the plan was foolproof. Frank, the only thing that can trip you up is nerves. So now relax, get some sleep. I reminded him to mail the letter he had typed on Diane's stationery. The reaction to that didn't take long. Oh, Frank. Listen, what am I going to do? Look at this letter I got this morning. What am I going to do? Well, how do I know that you tell me what it's all about? Well, here, read it. Harry Honeyboy. Uh, Honeyboy, good gracious. I'm afraid the time has come. I need a little extra money. Let's make it $25,000. You can bring it to my apartment tonight... At 9.45 sharp. Don't telephone any excuses or I'll stroll down to the mailbox. $25,000. She writes as if it were petty cash. P.S. Bring it all in cash, please. I can't raise 2500 let alone what she's asking. Uh, Frank, you couldn't see your way clear to let me have it, huh? You'll get it back every cent. Sure. When Agnes dies. I'll get her to sign over some of the stock to you. I'll convince her. Somehow. All right, all right. Stop sniveling. I'll I'll give you the money. On one condition. Oh, anything. Anything you say, Frank. Just this. When you see Diane tonight, get those negatives. Slap her around if you have to, but get them. 
Understand? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'll get them even if I have to knock her out. Frank, old boy, you're a real friend. I'll never forget this. Never. see you tonight about those negatives. You can tell him. Now, wait, Diane. He's prepared to pay for them. Oh. You can write your own ticket. Well, that sounds interesting. Where's he getting the money? Well, I'm letting him have some. Oh. And he made a killing at the track. What time is he coming? Between nine and ten. Will you tell Honey Boy I'll be waiting anxiously? <laughs> So I made him wait in the club a full five minutes more. He felt his pocket for the murder weapon, one of Harry's scarves taken from the office hall tree. According to schedule, it would be wrapped around Diane's beautiful neck at 9.37. Frank slipped out by way of the French window and made his way to Diane's apartment. No need to climb the steps this time. She was anxiously waiting for her honey boy. Come right on. Oh, it's you. I thought Harry was coming. Well, you know how Agnes is. He couldn't get away. So he sent me with the money. How much? He told me I could name the price. Have you got it with you? If you have the negatives. I've got them. You see them when I get the money. How much? One hundred and fifty grand. That's what I figured it'd be. It'll break Harry, but, uh, <laughs> That's his funeral. Sure, you want to count it. But you'll find it's all there. One hundred. Two, two, two. Are you big fun? There's nothing but blank paper. <laughs> <laughs> Frank found the negatives right next to her heart. He burned half of them, leaving enough to show who it was. Picked up the fake money. Made his way back to the club just as the colonel was turning the second page of the newspaper. Frank slipped into his chair and calmly waited for my signal. <coughs> now, five years, Colonel, sir. This is too much. You, you, sir. If I hear one piece out of you again, I will. Huh? Huh? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I beg your pardon, sir. One piece, sir, and I will complain to the steward, sir, and demand your uh, expulsion. I'm dreadfully sorry, Colonel. I promise you it won't happen again, sir. Yes, well, see that it doesn't, uh, sir. Oh, uh, by the way, Colonel. Uh, oh, what now? May I ask a favor? I watched Reason 920. It stopped. When I entered the club, it was 9.15. Well, well it is uh, exactly uh, uh, 9.52. Now, sir, may I go back to my paper? Thank you. 9.52. <laughs> Only three minutes off schedule. Well, on a five-minute margin for error. Not bad. Diane dead. Doug in San Francisco. 
And to make it perfect, Harry has probably let himself in by the door that you left unlocked. He'll reel back and leave his fingerprints all over the place. And rush out without noticing the burnt negatives of the scarf, and he'll be frantic until he finds you. Mr. Wineglass, telephone call for you. I'll plug it in. Oh, well, uh, thank you. Hello? Frank. Frank, I've been trying to kiss you all evening. I'm in an awful mess. You've got to help me. Well, what's the matter? Didn't the meeting with Diane work out? Didn't you get the negatives? Well, that's just it. I haven't been able to get away from Agnes. What? When I was finally able to sneak out to call Diane and tell her I was stuck, she didn't answer. Uh, Frank, get to her, find her, and explain. Tell her I'll get there, but it'll be after midnight. <laughs> saw Frank go white. If Harry was home until after midnight, they couldn't pin the murder on him. I called on Frank to be calm, reminded him that if they couldn't pin it on Harry, they couldn't pin it on him either. Besides, the main purpose had been accomplished. Diane wouldn't marry Doug. I told him to go home, get some sleep. Early in the morning, he was wakened by the doorbell ringing. And when he opened the door, he saw an officer. Sorry to disturb you, Mr. Wineglass, but they want to see you at the station. Oh, what, what's the trouble? Diane Rodell, a model in your employ, has been murdered. Diane! Oh, I see. They, they, they want me to give any information I can. Do they suspect anyone? Hate to be the one to tell you, but they're holding Douglas Wineglass. Oh, that's, uh, that's impossible. He's in San Francisco. He was to take a train, but stayed in the city until the last minute and decided to take a plane. He phoned the police from her apartment. We found him holding some burnt negatives. He didn't deny the murder. He just kept saying he didn't want to live any longer. Get me down to the station as fast as you can. Well, I'll clear this up in no time. All right, the car is waiting. I whispered, Frank, don't be a fool. The boy doesn't mean that much to you. He didn't even hear me. Maybe I didn't know the real Frank Wineglass after all. Maybe Frank was willing to pay with his life. Just to prove me wrong for once. So long, Frank. I won't be taking this trip with you. You double-crossed me at the last. Suspense. Listening to Soul to Satan, starring Kermit Murdoch, and adapted especially for suspense by Joseph Cochran from a short story by Jules Archer. Suspense is produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr., musical supervision by Ethel Huber. Heard in tonight's story were Elizabeth Lawrence as Diane Rodell, Robert Dryden as Harry Feeney, Ian Martin as Colonel Dover, Richard Holland as Douglas Wineglass, and Dick Hamilton as the police officer. Listen again next week when we return with The Juvenile Rebellion, written by Robert Senadella. Another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. CBS Newsmen Everywhere report in depth and detail on this station of the CBS Radio Network.